0: Okay, hey, snake guys. Okay, you can introduce the show. <laughs> okay, snake hey, guys, that was very cool. Maybe next time with the Moscow. Not to you, Steven?
1: Greetings, listeners. Welcome to G.I. Berg podcast episode six. This past yeah. week, we've been tasked with coming up with a rebooted original thirteen. If we were to relaunch the original 13, would the characters from the original 13 stay intact? Or would there be new additions to them? Based on the strength of characters that have emerged since that original 13, who would make the cut if we were to start today? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Sorry.
0: He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. Here the GI Joe collection: Infantry Trooper, code name Grunt; Bazooka Soldier, code name Zap; Mortar Soldier, code name Short Fuse; Laser Rifle Trooper, code name Flash Ranger; code name Stalker; Communications Officer, code name Breaker; Machine Gunner, code name Rock and Roll; Counterintelligence, code name Scarlet; Commando, code name Snake Eyes. Each sold separately. GI Joe from Hasbro.
1: So I think the easiest way to to tackle this will be to list what three or four figures or characters Rob, Paul and myself were all in agreement on. Okay, these are the sort of absolute must-haves that the three of us have decided to add to our original 13 reboot. The first of them is Hawk. (laughs) No big surprise there. Any team needs a good leader, Hawk is the leader of G.I. Joe, though the limelight has often been stolen from him, I think there would be no better man to lead our first 13 G.I. Joe members on their initial adventures or missions. Runner-up to Hawk is that insufferable enigma, Snake Eyes. And we've established in previous podcasts, in fact last week's podcast about Larry Hammer, that Snake Eyes became the protagonist of the G.I. Joe line. Who'd have thought? I mean, a character initially devised as a cost-cutting measure could go on to become the most compelling character that the G.I. Joe mythos ever produced? Well we can't possibly ignore that now. So love him or hate him, he's a necessary ingredient to our original 13. Totally, and um, when I get a chance to, I actually want to go into my pick fourth name guys. I mean if you think about it, this is a toy that he flew off
0: pegs. I don't even think he was intended to be that popular as a toy originally. I think, yeah, like you said, it's a cost-cutting, cost-cutting measure. So he is a bit of an enigma, both in terms of toy sales and, uh, and being a toy phenomenon and as being a character.
1: I remember, now this was before i ever been exposed to the comic book, before I'd ever been exposed to the cartoon, when G.I. Joe was just a sort of pie in the sky, the great toy line that had, had come to us from a far-off land, and was filling up our pegs, I remember Snake Eyes being the coolest character to own. It was a, stat- a status symbol. Now, without any backstory, without any knowledge of who Snake Eyes is, what G.I. Joe is, for some reason, the buzz on the playground was that this character was a must-have. So, what is it? I guess children are just or young boys, and perhaps young girls who dig G.I. Joe are drawn to a black clad character with edged weapons and Uzi. You know, this guy just had the best recipe to be a hot seller. You can divorce all the backstory, all the characterization from him and he will still attract buyers. Just a case in point, I have a seven-year-old cousin. Now, I started talking about G.I. Joe and the various characters, the one he immediately gravitated towards was Snake Eyes. He wanted to run around, dressed in black, with a ninja sword, being Snake Eyes. None of the other cool, militaristic Joes or villainous Cobras spoke to him like Snake Eyes did. Uh, he okay. insisted that he was Snake Eyes and I was Storm Shadow and it was game on. We went the way. do do <laughs> battle in the garden. <laughs> well... The one thing that's always
0: been cool for Snake Eyes, just for my myself as well, growing up and us being in South Africa, is we didn't really have the cartoon. And before I even read the comics, he was a character that you could sort of imprint your own missiles onto. That little word like ninja somewhere in his file card, or he's a martial arts specialist. I think spoke to
1: me because I mean, you know, we we both grew up with Karate Kid. <laughs> speak, speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. Well, I
0: was I, I was doing martial arts from a very young age. I mean, I was about four years old, I did karate for about three years or so, so, I mean, that was, okay, that was cool. Because, I mean, there was a time in my life when I grew up, I wanted to be a ninja, and, you know, that was one of the things, I think, Snake Eyes either encouraged that, or either that encouraged my love for the character.
1: Don't you still want to be a ninja, Paul?
0: Nah. No, I want to be a Ghostbuster now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be a teenage mutant ninja turtle.
0: (laughs) That's... Yeah, I could never be one of those. I knew that I'd have to like play in the sewers and be radioactively charged, and I think I was just brought up well enough to know that that's just not gonna happen.
1: (laughs) All right, all right, all
0: right. But yeah, back onto our back
1: onto our absolute must-haves. Every team needs a character at their heart, and I remember reading a list that Larry Harmer had put together about characters that really resonated with him. And Stalker has always been almost the voice of a character like Snake Eyes. He's observed Snake Eyes throughout his career and has a great deal of compassion. He really is the narrator, the eyes of the G.I. Joe series, or at least the comic books. I I think I I get what you're saying. He's always been such a a
0: badass character, and they both come from the same sort of origin, so to speak, you know, they both serve together, so you kind of get what Snake Eyes is capable as a per- uh, capable of as a person through Stalker. Is that maybe not
1: what you mean? Yeah, but also Stalker carries with him the guilt of having almost abandoned Snake Eyes. There's yes, this very know. important bond between the two men, and I think you can't have the one without the other. Because Snake Eyes's character is so guarded and difficult to access because of his speech impediments, because of his scarring, and his need to wear a mask. But Stalker is his, uh, I don't know, almost alter ego. Yeah, he's a he's, I mean, he's a character yeah, removed from Snake Eyes that can add commentary on Snake Eyes' life. I mean, when, when Snake Eyes
0: is doing weird things, like sitting in the corner and scratching at the wallpaper, you know, we always have Stalker there to explain his
1: actions. Absolutely. <laughs> or Scarlet. But Scarlet, strangely enough, was not in all three of our lists, yes. dear listeners. The final and fourth member of the G.I. Joe team that we would all essentially have if we were to reboot is a bit of a surprise. We all agreed on Tunnel Rat. (laughs) Do you want to enlighten me on that, Paul?
0: Okay, I went for Tunnel Rat because my idea for Original 13 is what would I do if I had to reboot the Original 13 as a storyline? You know, today's world, with the way military is today, and as a character Tunnel Rat, has okay, he's a bit of a um, a in that he's he's a great sense of humor. Yeah, you know he's a character that can generate a few trickles and all that here and there. He does take what he does very seriously, but he has a very soft kind of careless demeanor. Uh, he he's an explosive ordnance disposal specialist or an EOD, and that's a very stressful job in the military. I mean that's not something. I mean those guys. I think every day is a nightmare and. He is very chilled out about it, I think, and that's kind of what makes him very cool. He's an he's elite you know, trooper, and he deals with bomb disposal, and he's got a very like, chilled out demeanor about it, and that's why he would make my original 13, because he's got a great personality as a character. He's he's a character that I see picking the rest of the team up on a morale level. When the chips are down, he's the kind of guy who will crack a joke at the worst time, but they kind of appreciate him for that. That's why Tunnel Rats in mine. Yeah, Taco Rad a character has just always been cool. Uh, he's always been a cool toy, and he's always been a fun character. They also don't share enough light on him as a character in, the, in both the comic books and the you know, the cartoon series in which he already uh, appears in the movie. I think it's also another character we've been able to imprint a lot of, a lot of into because that little bit of screen time he's had has been that of a fun-loving, hardcore little guy. He's very smart, but he hides it through layers of humor. I enjoy characters like that quite a bit personally.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, sir. That's right, okay. Rights, Just on a character point of view, is an essential component to the G.I. Joe team. All right, so that is our four points of agreement. There are a few other points of agreement, but that's just shared between Rob and Paul, or me and Rob, or Paul and I. Well, I always get that wrong. So, I'm going to jump in with my original 13 revamp. So far we have Hawks, Snake Eyes, Tunnel Rat, and Stalker. Now I must admit, when I was deciding on this original 13, my two main considerations were, firstly, characters. What character mixtures would make for interesting storylines? The second consideration was how would these characters be packaged? Would there be 13 single-carded characters? Would they be the characters included with early vehicles or play sets, how would the assortment look? So that's the kind of big picture that I try to fit everyone into. There is another consideration, and that is one of hierarchy. I didn't want to have a team that was Hulk and the boys, or girl and boys. I wanted to have a command structure in place within the original 13 that could then be supplemented to. It's not like... A situation where, oh dear, we're two years into the line and we don't have our first sergeant yet. But to address that first sergeant issue right off the bat, I would say that instead of adding Duke to the mix, we would just up Stalker's rank initially. He would be the first sergeant of the G.I. Joe team. He would be the field commander's right-hand man. Yeah. And that makes absolutely perfect sense to me since Stalker led his fair share of those early missions himself. And was actually calling the shots in the company of big players like Scarlett and Steeler, who were actually of similar rank or higher. I mean, Steeler was a second lieutenant, in fact. Well,
0: that's the thing. I mean, um, uh, for me, Stalker's always been a bit more of a first shirt in my mind, than Duke has been.
1: Sure. And as I say, he, he adds a few other dimensions that Duke never quite had, he never had full dominion of. I mean, we had the blonde-haired, blue-eyed colonel in charge of, or field commander in charge of G.I. Joe, that being Hawk. Duke was just another blonde-haired, blue-eyed field commander.
0: Yeah,
1: and with a lower rank, much lower rank, actually. <laughs> well, out of his own decision. I mean, he elected to remain an enlist- enlisted man instead of uh, taking an officer's commission. Oh, okay. He didn't oh, want okay. to drive a desk. But still, that kind of really makes him just a shadow of Hawk. Okay, so another consideration. I know I said I'd just have two, but here's another one. The consideration that I had when concocting my original 13 was what was wrong with the initial original 13? What characters really worked? What characters did not? And it's not difficult to do this in hindsight because it's quite obvious that the Mortar Soldier, Short Fuse, was phased out very quickly. Even characters that got a little bit of characterization, like Zap, his job can be easily accommodated by any number of far more interesting characters. So I eliminated guys like Zap, I eliminated guys like Short Fuse, I eliminated Grand Slam for purely no other reason than being a uh, Flash clone. Yeah. And his speciality is a laser artillery soldier, is kind of covered by Flash's speciality as a laser trooper. So, those guys were gone. Grunt, by just being a foot soldier, regular green shirt, was also eliminated. I thought long and hard about rock and roll. He's gregarious. He's the kind of solid backbone to the team. He's the guy that anyone can approach. Yeah, he's the he's the, the surfer. He's the cool guy. Absolutely. And he's the heavy machine gunner. <sighs> But then I thought his function within that outfit can quite handsomely be accommodated by A, Tunnel Rat with the heavy MG, because Tunnel Rat does like to tote around an M60 and plenty of bandoliers of ammunition, and Wild Bill. Wild Bill, the amiable, slow-talking, western country spirit on the team, is that friendly, go-to guy who everyone seems to like and get along with no one has any issues with and let's face it you don't want to have any issues with the guy who's going to be your extraction chopper pilot yeah he's going to hold your ass out of the the fire yeah absolutely let me just offload my seven or so single pack figures these would be the guys on blister cards that you'd be able to get at retail whenever this line was rebooted for the sake of argument let's say it happened back in 82 the marketing team and Larry Hammer and all the creatives were so switched on that they had these spellbinding characters way back when the line started. The first single-coded character is Breaker. Now Breaker is the resident techie. He's a communications officer, but he's also a linguist. And I, forgot about that. I think Breaker could quite happily evolve into Mainframe. Mainframe was brought on later, and Mainframe, at that stage, was already a veteran of several years. Breaker, total opposite flip side of the story, Breaker is the youngest member of the team, constantly blowing signature bubble gum. As I say, a linguist, fluent in seven languages, no less, and no doubt uh, conversant in, in many more other dialects. And he's basically got his finger on the trigger of multiple technological wonders. He's the kind of the, the techie on the team and a bit of a kid, a bit of a, a wet behind the ears type. Now, when he was carded back in 82, he came with the radio pack helmets, a, a cable to connect the radio pack and the helmets and some headphones. That probably wouldn't have sold him so well, but I would think a very cool inclusion that would make this guy fly off the shelves is one of those radio controlled pack rats. He could come with a little flamethrower pack rat or a machine gun pack rat. I'm clearly thinking budget is no constraint on this line because to include a pack rat with a um, single carded figure is kind of giving you a little bit too much bang for your buck. Yeah, true. <laughs> My second single carded figure would have to be Scarlett, without a doubt, man. She is the quintessential G.I. Joe female figure. And it's, it's probably got a lot to do with the fact that she was the first and that every subsequent figure was a shade of her. You know, like, cover girl was beautiful, and she was the girl that everyone hit on, but she disappeared very quickly, because her role was already filled by Scarlet. Yeah, true. And yet, Scarlet was the baddest chick on the team. I mean, she's an expert with a garrotte wire. Now, do you know what a garrotte wire is? Yeah, yeah. It's a device used for strangulation. Yep. How do you become proficient... With a garrote wire. <laughs> well, for starters, she's a woman. Well,
0: so, sorry to our lady listeners, but you know we respect you, ladies.
1: How often do do ladies use garrot wires? Where I'm going with this, Paul, is in order to become proficient with a garrote, you've got to go out and strangle people. <laughs> strangle <them> people <laughs> to death. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you don't garrot someone halfway and then give up. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you look at the practicality
0: of it, a garrote wire, it's fairly easy to hide in, like, a nightdress. You know, an evening
1: gun. Absolutely. Yeah. But it just. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I, I'd
0: imagine it's just a lot easier for her to, you know, carry that around in a, like a small pistol or
1: something. Well, but, I mean, on that note, the figure, the original figure is just loaded with instruments of death, okay? The 25th anniversary doesn't have a thing on that original figure. Yeah, I mean, so you know, The 25th
0: anniversary doesn't have much things.
1: <laughs> hey, come on. I still think that's the quintessential pose. Uh, No, no, don't get me wrong, it's a
0: total goodie, I just wish she came with
1: more gear. Agreed, agreed. Well, the original didn't come with a great deal of gear, either. She came with a crossbow, that's about it. But on the figure's mould, she had a concealed derringer pistol on her inner gauntlet. On the outer gauntlet, she had throwing stars. She had a knife on her thigh. She had some sort of wicked explosive device on her thigh. She had a catapult on her buttocks. Okay. Now, I mean, what, what scenario can you concoct that she would use a catty to subdue her enemies? Very many, but I don't think this is the right podcast for it. <laughs> and, of course, she had a sculpted grenade on her shoulder. She had multiple weapons just within her sculpt. She's a truly deadly member of a team and definitely a force to be reckoned with. Now, I would want to expand this slightly because of her various proficiencies with various weapons and that it is quite clear on her file card that not only does she have a proficiency with the Remington sniper rifle, but she also attended the Marine sniper school. I would say that she would function as a team sniper as well. I totally forgot about that, actually. Well, it pays to read up on your file cards, my friend. Yeah, I, I know. I was on Facebook and and somebody asked Larry Hummer who he
0: thinks the best sniper is. And a whole bunch of us answered, and I totally forgot about (laughs) Scarlett.
1: I guess the point I'm trying to make is Scarlett should have come with a sniper rifle. The third single-carded figure that I would have on my original 13 is Torpedo. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. Torpedo opens up an avenue of play. That extends into the big blue. He's the diver, but he's also a Navy SEAL, so he's able to perform well within a unit in land based situations, in aquatic situations, in airborne situations. He's cross trained in pretty much everything. Also, his specialities include demolitions, so he would be the guy most likely to set the explosives whereas Tunnelrat is a combat engineer and a Explosive Ordnance Disposal Man, who no doubt is pretty good at setting bombs himself, torpedoes the guy if you want absolute deadly precision. And also, yeah. he's one sneaky MF. He can get into places no one else can, simply because of his ultra-sneaky SEAL training.
0: That's uh, an official term, ultra-sneaky SEAL training,
1: just to get that out there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Character-wise, he's an interesting addition, because in spite of his Islander upbringing out in Hawaii, he's extremely, extremely antisocial. Yes, I remember that. He does not hang out with the rest of the Joes. People don't like him, or at least they don't have time to form an opinion on him, because he's constantly training in martial arts, training his body, training his mind. He is. The consummate professional, never to be seen at the local PX bar or ordering a round of Yojo Cola. This guy is all about the job. So he's probably in his early 30s, mid 30s, and hasn't softened up in life just yet.
0: He takes things a little
1: seriously. I think that's
0: something him at Deep Six kind of share in common as well.
1: Well this is a little bit of a writer's shorthand I think. I think a lot of the naval characters, with exception to shipwreck, were penned as cold fish, literally. (laughs) I mean, I see it with torpedo, I see it with wetsuit, I see it with deep six. So it's like Larry Hammer's brushings with members of the U.S. Navy must have been pretty cold shoulder, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point, because, yeah, it's an
0: interesting thing there, actually. Because, yeah, I'm actually trying to think of one instance or any instance that springs to mind where you've got them all like chilling out with them and they just sort of like rock up, do their thing, and disappear and and then everybody's having a party on the boat and they've already left.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On to the next mission. Mm. My fourth single-carded character would be Snake Eyes, including Timber with him. I think if you can make that connection early on and make it a strong one, Timber could actually be the 14th Joe. I saw this incredible show on the SEAL Team 6 on the Discovery Channel about how these guys sometimes parachute into enemy territory with their tracking dogs in order to ferret out unseen terrorists in order to go places where the human soldiers can't go. These dogs wear Kevlar armor. They're trained to jump out of planes. That's they terrible. Have they have um, sophisticated cameras and listening devices mounted on their body armor. Perfect. So this is a very, very expensive and well-trained canine. Okay. Timber, of course, is a wolf. So <laughs> all I'm saying is, Snake Eyes, in addition to all his disciplines, must be one hell of a, a, an animal trainer to get a wolf to do everything that a that a German Shepherd can do. Can, I mean, can you just, imagine
0: think I tried to tell the dog to shut up, I and mean, like, you know, Timber's going,
1: take I don't think wolves bark, though. That's probably, what? probably an element in its favour, I mean, provided you're able to give it training. It's a very yeah. stealthy, quiet member of the team. True. So you that know, would be
0: just... have to run over people's socks and chew stuff. but I mean, he's otherwise, he's very cool.
1: But before I watched that SEAL Team 6 documentary, I remember an episode of the G.I. Joe cartoon called Cobra's Creatures, where oh I God. laughed for a long time when junkyard, junkyard gets ejected out of a Sky Striker. But now I see that there was an element of truth to that. Albeit an element. I don't foresee a dog being ejected out of a supersonic jet fighter's Back seat. Well, you're, you're forgetting the coolest part of that whole show when
0: we have Snake Eyes and Shipwreck both disguised as Cobra troopers, and they have, a, uh, and they have Timber walking with them, and he's got his parrot. Shipwreck's still got his parrot
1: with him. It was Spirit, Spirit and Freedom. Oh, that was awesome. Timber, Timber and Freedom were herding Snake Eyes and Spirit into Cobra's headquarters. Yes. Like, like pretending to be possessed by Cobras. I don't know, animal brainwash machine. (laughs) Wow, they were smoking some good. Number five, single-coded figure, Tunnel Rats. I think he needed more tools. I mean, as a combat engineer, he just needs more stuff. Like, the original figure came with a hefty backpack. You can imagine all that stuff is in there. But I think, I don't know, much cooler to have him with a massive wrench or an acetylene torch, something like that. Kind of like what they did with the Renegades release, giving him the little EOD bots and some tools and stuff. Yeah, exactly. That'd be boss. That'd be really cool. My sixth single single-continent figure, Flash, and I think Flash is perfect as he is. Flash fulfils the roles of a number of later figures by being the right. chemical, biological, radiological trooper. He kind of does the job that Airtight does,
0: and yeah. the job that
1: Sci-Fi does. Very true. Yeah. And he's a youngster. He's another younger member of the team who's really current in terms of technology, but not so much in terms of soldiering and and pure grit. I think he'd be a voice of compassion and maybe even have a little puppy dog crush on Scarlet. He didn't look into Flash in
0: that regard. I mean, I always thought he's he's cool, and I know why he was in the team, but I never looked at him that way,
1: dude. Well, between Flash and Breaker, you've got the dynamic that Ripcord had. The kind of not entirely sure if he's doing the right thing by being a career soldier. They're devastatingly good at what they do. There can be no doubting that. I mean, they're members of the Joe team because of it. But they have some reluctance with regards to the lifestyle of a professional soldier and what they're called upon to do. And that sets up an interesting dynamic between the younger characters, who are less certain, or are overconfident and and overcompensating their uncertainty by being more gung-ho. And the older guys, like, ooh, I can't get into them just yet. But Wild Bill would be one of them. Wild Bill certainly seems a lot older to me, perhaps mid-40s.
0: Also, a character that comes across as a bit of a, car- a cowboy, but is not really a cowboy, if you know what I mean. You know, because of his age, you know, he's, his maturity has made him a bit more, you know, uh, suspicious and a bit more careful.
1: Absolutely. And he's the guy to sit the youngsters down and talk to them about what's really all about. Okay, the seventh single carded figure of my assortment would be Stalker, but instead of just including a rifle, I think he needs to have the jump. I think the jump, and I know I said in the previous podcast that this was my favorite jetpack by virtue of the fact that it came with a launch base. I think that probably wasn't enough of a seller on its own and I could very easily imagine collapsing it into a figure's accessory pile. I don't know if that makes any economic sense whatsoever, but they've lost the base in current assortments but the jetpack itself has been maintained. So I reckon that jetpack could have been included with a single carded figure and still be retreaded later on in the line. It did not have to be a singularity. It did not have to be in its own box. Though I love the fact that it did. It really has a lot of majesty that way. But I've spoken about that previously. Yeah. All right, so I only have seven single carded Joes in my initial assortment and that's contrasted with the nine that were in the original. But hey, this is my master plan. This is my show, and you have to listen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Hawk would come with the MMS as he always did. I think the MMS, more than any of the other smaller, towable weapon systems, is something that is enduring. I think the MMS could still find a lot of use today. It's, It's something simple, easily maintainable, it doesn't involve lasers, it's towable, it has wheels, it's great. So, that would be a great way to get your hands on Hawk, who is a necessary character, but one that wouldn't have any accessories that would sell him. So, he wouldn't make sense as a single kind of figure. Next up would be Clutch with the van. Clutch was quite a popular character by virtue of his excellent characterization. He's not an exceptional soldier, he certainly is an exceptional driver and mechanic. Those skills are useful on a special forces team, I'm sure. Uh, But he wasn't above and beyond in terms of marksmanship or covert operations. He wasn't outstanding. But let me tell you, and this probably is influenced by his characterization on ages 25 and up, which is excellent if you don't know what I'm talking about type it into your Google, go for the first hit, I'm sure it is the first hit, on ages 25 and up, and read this fanboy's photograph comic book.
0: Which is awesome. I just want to put in my two cents
1: there too. He takes what Larry Harmer introduced us to in terms of clutch and just makes him epic. I mean, this guy is comic relief central. By being an absolute pig and a guy who is quite believable, actually. I mean, he's a real gung-ho kind of guy, the kind of guy who definitely enlisted, the kind of guy who came from a sketchy background perhaps, but found his way into the military and actually started serving with distinction, got noticed by Hulk, and became the G.I. Joe team's fast driver.
0: Yeah, the the primary wheel man.
1: (laughs) The primary wheel man who drives as fast as he can talk I mean he's just sleazy and he would be the kind of guy who would constantly rib Scarlett as being a female soldier of course he'd respect her but he'd never let that slip and everyone else would let him get away with it because you don't want to really come to blows over something like that everyone else can see the funny side except Scarlett who thinks that she needs to defend her position as the only female on the team
0: yeah she can be a bit untied that way
1: Yeah, it just sets up interesting relationships. And I think, and this is one of Larry Homer's imperatives, that plot is secondary to character. It's the characters that are gonna keep you coming back and keep you interested in the story, not the other way around. While Bill we've covered, but instead of including him with the dragonfly, I'm gonna use my incredible sense of hindsight or foresight to predict that there will be a helicopter called the Tomahawk, which will be as much an attack chopper as the Dragonfly ever was, but also be able to contain five troops, or more troops, depending on how you want to shove them in. Reason being, the early uses of the Dragonfly were almost like the Dragonfly was wishing it was a troop transport. It was a glaring hole in the G.I. Joe vehicle pool, and that was a troop transport helicopter. So as soon as the Dragonfly appeared, They were loading people in the skids. they were putting people in the gunning seat or in the pilot seat that clearly did not belong there just so that you could move your Joes from A to B. So the Tomahawk in that respect is a necessary first helicopter. The Dragonfly was cool, but in hindsight the Tomahawk would have served G.I. Joe better earlier. And while Bill needs no introduction, as I say, he'd be the kind of father figure to the team. Not a command figure. I mean, he's a warrant officer. He's kind of in the middle, mm-hmm. but certainly the go-to guy, the old agony aunt of the team, mm-hmm. and just a great amiable guy who everyone kind of gets along with. Even yeah, quiet, Tor- wise, wise Texan. <laughs> Absolutely. Even Torpedo has nothing bad to say about Wild Bill. Next up, Steeler, with the Mobat. Every military line needs a battle tank and the Mobat was just, in spite of being undersized, maybe that's something they could have addressed, it was just iconic, rendered in a really nice, dark, deep hue of green, and coming with a character who is extremely blue-collar, in fact, in his file card, and in his additional text that I found in the um, Mark Bellamer book. Young, reckless, often clashes with authority, but he's one tough soldier. He is either the most normal, well-adjusted man in the world or the best disguised psychotic. There's something beneath the surface. He lies to me all the time, fabricating the most outlandish. So there is an element of Wolverine in Seela uh-huh. that I think could have been developed. It was never really explored because I guess he was always just a tank driver. So he was a man of few words. But I would love to incorporate the fact that he clashes with authority on a regular basis. Okay, that kind of behavior wouldn't be accepted on the G.I. Joe team for long unless you were right some of the time. Good at what you did, yeah. Good at what you did, and also sometimes in the right. And I'm starting to think that maybe Hawk is not such a spotless leader. I mean, firstly, you set up this, this dichotomy between Hawk and Steeler because Hawk comes from extremely rich privileged background, whereas Steeler, blue collar, completely middle class, kind of speaks for the more I suppose underprivileged members of the team, like Tunnelrat, like Stalker, and he is of command grade being a second lieutenant. So he's up there on the command structure, but he has clashes with authority. And Hawk, as early as issue 7, Hawk did some very underhanded things to the team. Now, for those of you who don't recall, Issue 7 is when a handful of Joes get sent into Afghanistan to pick up a crash-landed Soviet experimental spy plane. So he throws six Joes into the meat grinder, as it were, to go and pick up this Soviet experimental plane. The October Guard are sent in by the Soviets, and Cobra is sent in as well. Meanwhile, Hulk tipped Cobra off. Hawk told Cobra that the G.I. Joes were going to pick up the spy plane and make a dash for the Pakistani border. Hawk was prepared to sacrifice six of his best guys and go in order to complete the mission. That's sick. And that... Exactly. Exactly. So Hawk does not have a spotless record by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that would be the most perfect dichotomy to establish between... Hawk, in order to ensure that the mission is completed. Yeah. And mixed into that, a troublemaker like Steeler, who speaks for all of his subordinates and definitely has a problem with authority. So any slip-ups by Hawk would not go unnoticed and unquestioned, and Steeler would be the man to do it. So yeah, I would really invest a lot in Steeler's character. All right. That's a very cool one, dude. Yeah, man. I, I, I... I wish I had a, a decent Steeler figure. I guess that's why. I'm impressed. I, at five o'clock this morning, I'm going to be uh, bidding on a Mobat with a swivel arm Steeler.
0: Oh hell yeah!
1: It's about time. Gee, oh,
0: listeners out there have got a Mobat. Stephen is looking. You know, I'm just hit us up on, and he'll give you all the details
1: at the end of the show. But yeah, talk <laughs> about <forgot> it out. Please. <laughs> all right. Moving swiftly along, the penultimate figure on my. Original 13, is Ace, the quintessential G.I. Joe pilot. He is fixed-wing pilot extraordinaire. He can fly the big planes, the jets, the small planes, the small jets. He can fly it all. He is the dude. He is the dude. And he also, like Hawk, has not got an untarnished record. In his File Club clearly states that his gambling problems would serve as a bar to him being on the G.I. Joe team. But the problem is, you can't consider it gambling because he never loses. Okay. Now, that is some cocky BS that I think would make him just a standalone character in this team. He is that cocky Han Solo type. And the fact that he is a jet driver just enhances that. He thinks he is all that. He thinks he's the shit. And that kind of ego really would rub the grunts up the wrong way. At the same same time, time, he's the eye in the sky. He is the guy that you need on your side when you need to call in an airstrike. And the fact that he's a pilot in so many different disciplines means that he could be flying the transport plane, the C-130, or providing air cover in the Sky Striker. It's necessary to have a pilot, an ace. Well, (laughs) there's no better pilot than he, and no pilots with better characterization. And I speak purely from the point of the file card. Listeners, if you haven't read Ace's original 1983 file card, do yourself a favor, read it. It's literary genius. And he would obviously come with the Sky Striker, and that would be a hot seller, as I'm sure you all know, given the proliferation of the Sky Strikers out there. The final figure on my original 13 is psych Psych-out. Psych-out. Yeah, no,
0: exclamation mark, psych-out. Psych out.
1: Yeah. Oh
0: okay.
1: okay. Why? Why? Well, not because of his file card. Though I must admit, his file card does give an impressive list of education credits and interesting insight into the world of deceptive warfare. I'm putting Psych-out on the team because of what he could become. I believe that an anti-terrorist unit as Titan, and as small as G.I. Joe needs an egghead, needs a guy with that level of education to be able to climb inside the terrorist mind. Okay, yeah. I'm heavily influenced by Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six book where it was essential to have someone to firstly act as a hostage negotiator and secondly, to compile an after action report on operations and trying to get inside the head of someone like Cobra Commander or Destro. I know this is extremely academic and probably wouldn't be a consideration for a 10-year-old, but in terms of the writing and the direction that the comic could've taken, with a character like Psychart being utilized properly, it's a no-brainer. I know this figure wouldn't fly off the pegs, and that's why he's not single-carded in my assortment. He would come with the 1983 or now it would be shifted to the 1982 headquarters. Here would be the figure included with the headquarters. Its central piece within its walls is a brig. It's a prisoner section. Now, if you included Psycarp with that piece, that would no longer just be a cell, but some sort of interrogation chamber. Okay, oh, man. Yeah, man. It would be his office, whether it be adequate protection, walling, whatever, to allow him to interrogate prisoners and to devise the team's next mission. So in so doing, Psycout is the direct advisor to Hawk and could actually be considered second in command, at least in terms of a strategic point of view. I mean, he's not going to be on the field fighting the battles, but in terms of where the Joes need to go to do what they need to do, Psycout is the first person that Hawke would confer with? Yeah,
0: because you would have to consider psychological aspects of his team, things
1: like that. If, well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of psychart, psychart. I'm thinking of psychart more in the capacity of of a strategist than just oh, okay. a psychologist. And it occurred to me also that with psychart as a member of the original thirteen, finally we have a voice from which the psychological profiles and the dossiers come from. Ah, okay. Finally, we have the quintessential character who's written up everyone's psych profile and is responsible for that little blurb at the end of each file card that make those characters seem so real and so distinct to us. Oh, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I just think... Now. <laughs> so do I. Too bad the figures didn't quite live up to uh, my hype. But I just think he would be an essential element and also the kind of... Mediator between the commander, being Hawk, and his underlings. And in many respects, might be viewed with the same disdain as Hawk, because he's also probably from a privileged background, very well educated, perhaps, you know, a little bit removed from the grunts. But at the same yeah. time, in an elite fighting unit like Giaggio, no one's an idiot. And they all see the value of having someone like Psychart with them in the field when they need to take down enemy agents. Just before I segue into you, mate, I think essential vehicles and accessories to have within that first year. Firstly, take out the APC, replace it with a Warthog Uh because of the heavier armor protection afforded. And they should do three accessory packs that can make these original 13 figures operate underwater, so there could be a diver's accessory pack, Yeah. a halo accessory pack, or parachute packs, and optic accessory packs.
0: Uh, yeah, so basically, very much like the original G.I. Joe.
1: Exactly, exactly. we would continue the, that fine tradition and that play pattern of being able to collect your Joe and outfit him or her for whatever environment they needed to operate in. And then it would remove the need for environment-specific Joes like Snowjob, like Dusty, who, while were made cool characters in their own rights, were once again simply shades of characters that went before. Yeah. I mean, Snowjob was perhaps a mixture of rock and roll and clutch. You know, the, the practical joker side of the team. Dusty, well, I don't know if he had much characterization at all, he was just a cool, laid-back, soldier kind of guy. Perhaps like a grunt. But, yeah, unnecessary give the original 13 stuff that makes them jungle troopers or makes them airborne troopers. Anyway, that's me. If you would like to comment on what you've heard, drop us a line either on gijoburg.podbean.com that's gijobur dot or a real South African That's a real South African hero with no spaces. blogspot.com.